This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from the Bible Reading Fellowship. Visit parentingforfaith.org for free online videos and resources and an eight-session course all about Parenting for Faith. You can also sign up for news, subscribe to this podcast, and find out about events and training in your area. Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name is Rachel Turner. And today we are talking about persecution in the world and how do we help our kids engage with that. Uh, We're also answering the question about a child who doesn't like to focus when they're reading the Bible and how do we help them engage with reading the Bible if you have a child who isn't, uh, has strength in focusing on one thing at a time. And uh, then we have uh, my friend Ali Campbell, who has great wisdom as a youth pastor, as a leader of thinking about ministry uh, in the nation. He's going to talk to us about parenting for faith with tweenagers. Uh, So many times we feel that we're just getting our handle on how to parent our kids, and then they begin to transition into teenagers, and we have to make changes with them. And Allie's going to bring us some wisdom on that. But first, it's hot, guys. (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed. Summer is here. I'm so excited. But man, I'm hot. I feel like there's very little times where I'm in the middle. I don't know where you're living, but I'm hoping it is lovely and warm with a beautiful breeze and your vitamin D levels are skyrocketing. Um, Before um, we jump into our first section, I just wanted to uh, remind you about our Parenting as Church Leaders Days. If you're listening and you're a church leader or um, you have a church leader in your community, uh, it'd be really great to to let them know about this day. Parenting as a church leader is uh, is tricky because you're sort of in this uh, weird context of in some ways, parenting in front of a lot of people, and that can add a lot of pressure. And uh, so we've designed some Parenting as Church Leaders Days. What are the specific skills and issues facing church leaders as parents? And uh, go on our website, parentingforfaith.org. You can find out all about those. And it'd just be great if if you yourself are involved in the leadership of a church, come along. And uh, if you know of a church leader, please encourage them to find out about this because it can be a lonely path of parenting and it's great to connect with others. Uh, We have days coming up in St. Albans, Southampton. Uh, We're headed way down into Cornwall uh, in Newton Abbott, which is between Exeter and Plymouth. Uh, And some denominations are picking it up. So we have a CMD day in Oxford and the Salvation Army is planning one in all their regions. So uh, we'd love for you to come. But let's jump into today's cornerstone topic. Last week, we were talking about preparing our children for being a Christian in a non-Christian world. And that made me think about the wider world. Around the world, Christians are persecuted in horrific ways. They're arrested, they're beaten, they're killed for their faith. And in our comfortable English society, our children aren't at risk of any of this, which can lead to quite a relaxed approach to faith. It's a, it's an, it can become an add-on. It's a, a thing that we do. But the early church experienced persecution, arrest, murder, uh, the letters, acts, uh, and the rest of scripture really in a lot of people were walking their relationship with God in the face of this increasing reality of being proactively hunted and hurt and killed uh, and economically destroyed for their walk with God. And that continues today. 
not necessarily in this country, but there are Christians all over the world who are still experiencing that sort of horrific hunting, uh, that horrific danger that um, that the early church experienced. And, and we can sometimes think, how is it important for our children to know about that? And will they just feel powerless if they know about that? Is it important? And I believe it is actually quite important for our children to know that around the world, people are paying a high cost for their relationship with God. I think it's really important for a couple of reasons for our children. One, it helps them understand the real danger and cost that others pay for their relationship with God. Uh, some people have to wake up at three o'clock in the morning and journey to the middle of a field to have secret church. They, uh, they have to worship so quietly because at any moment they could be arrested. There is a, a sense of others having to pay a great cost to have what we have so casually and to be able to help our children access those stories and understand those stories and begin to wrestle with the difference of people being willing to pay a great cost for something is is really fascinating. Another reason why it's helpful for our children to be introduced to this idea and to have it as part of their knowledge and conversation is that they can understand more about the Bible because they can hear modern stories of people being arrested or killed and they see how that was happening to the early church and the the scripture comes alive because the stories they're hearing now are the stories that were happening then and they can begin to picture and smell and un- understand those kind of stories they can they can access it in a better ways because we have modern equivalents to what's happening And the third reason I feel is that they begin to enter into great conversations about the cost of being a Christian. Uh, So often we, we, if we're giving an unbalanced view of what it is like to be a Christian, we paint it as being so positive. It's all about great relationship with God and, and being blessed, being blessed by his presence and his face. And, and we, we focus on all of the brilliant stuff, but, but there is a cost to, uh, being a Christian, Jesus was um, was really clear about that. He talked about how the world will hate you, and he talked about how in this world you will have trouble, and uh, he talked about there would be division in families, and there he was quite open about the cost of following him, and our, the early church paid a great cost for it, and and to enter into that kind of conversation with our children is really, really interesting to talk about, is it easy now to follow God and have a relationship with him? Why or why not? What would it be like for you if you would be arrested for doing what we do every day to help them engage with that? Our tendency is to want to wait to talk about this until they're older, but it can be as simple as when you finish praying together, just say, I love that we can do this together with our windows open. You know, in some countries, doing what we just did is against the law. And you can just drop that in with a three-year-old or a five-year-old or a seven-year-old. If you want to jump in to really engage with this topic, you feel like it's it's right and ready for this, um, feel free to talk about it naturally when it comes up. Don't feel like you need to be like, right now, we need to sit down and introduce persecution. Uh, But you can just drip feed it in, notice things when you see things on the news to mention it, when you hear a story at church, you know, mention it and just begin to introduce it really casually. That's okay. That's where discipleship happens in the ordinary every day. If you're somebody who likes doing something more proactively or together, uh, there are several resources out there. 
Open Doors is an organization uh, that uh, works with the persecuted church around the world and has some really good resources to engage with this. They have family resources for children to uh, write letters to children that are suffering persecution in other countries. So our kids can actually write letters of encouragement to children whose parents have been arrested, to children who are having to meet in secret churches, and encourage them and connect with them in a great way, which is, I just love that they've done that. Uh, They have resources as a family to explore what it's like to be part of an underground church. They have videos that help you understand the risks taken by people to smuggle Bibles into place. They have loads of resources. Uh, So go to Open Doors for that. Uh, There's a series of videos uh, in America called Torchlighters, which have basically animated and created like 20 minute episodes of key people throughout history, some of which are martyrs, like Jim Elliott, who gave his life to share the gospel uh, with um, some uh, some indigenous people in in southern and south in Central America. We have someone called Perpetua, who uh, was a, a Christian in the three hundreds, who gave her life in the lion pits. We have you know, Robert Germain Thomas, who came to bring Bibles into Korea. And uh, I actually know someone whose whose family came to Christ through the sacrifice of this, um, this man hundreds of years ago. And it, it's just fascinating to see the stories throughout history of people who have paid a great cost for the relationship with God and yet see what massive fruit have come out of uh, the struggles of, of being a Christian. Uh, and if you're teenagers, particularly like reading, there's some great books out there, like Jesus Freaks, uh, which is these little one-page stories of people who have given their, their lives for God under persecution. God Smuggler, which is a story of, of modern times of people having to smuggle Bibles into countries where it's illegal. Uh, my favorite when I was a teenager was Through the Gates of Splendor, which was uh, the Jim Elliott story. Wh- whatever it is, uh, helping our kids engage with this is so helpful. But it's also about you, and you can talk about what following God has cost you, uh, whether it's your relationships, whether it's, um, it's not, it might not be the, the getting beaten in the street, but there's a sense of cost. And uh, so rather than get sucked into talking about the difference between they've endured more than I have, which you can do, but there's still a cost that we pay and talk about what that is for you and whether or not it's worth it or stories you know of people who've dealt with persecution. And uh, have a great conversation about the whys of persecution. Why do you think few countries want to make it difficult for Christians to just live? If we had to sneak into church in a basement of someone's house before sunrise, what do you think church would be like? Christians who live in those countries think it's all worth the risk just to love and worship God. Would I make that same decision? Would you? Create a window into your thoughts about it so that your child can go on a great journey of exploring. Because when we value our relationship with God so much that it comes with a cost in this world, we begin to see how much we value it and how much others value it. And it allows us to rethink for ourselves how important our relationship with God is and what he has on offer for us. So have really good conversations and wade into it and just ponder when is right to talk about the persecution in the church because uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are walking a journey that some of our children don't even know about yet. And uh, it's really important that we can pray for them and love them and understand their journeys as well as ours.
Okay, for our question section, we got this question come in from a listener. If you would like us to answer your question, please do email it in. Uh, you can put it on Facebook. You can get in touch any way you want, but we would love to be able to answer the questions that are relevant to you. And this question came in and said, uh, my child doesn't like sitting still. And so when we're reading the Bible together, he keeps getting distracted. I keep trying to bring him back to the Bible, but he keeps losing focus. What should I do? And I think many of us would um, have had experiences of that with our children as well. Uh, some children just struggle to focus more than others. And so there are many ways of, of being able to help our children engage with this. The first question I would like to ask is, why are we reading the Bible in the first place? Sometimes we become so focused on the activity that we forget of what we're doing it for. And so actually we're reading the Bible for a reason. It's not just helping our kids engage with the activity of reading the Bible. We're reading the Bible because we want to access God's truth. We want to get to know him. We want to give our children familiarity with the Bible, with the word. There's so many reasons why we want to. And it might be useful for you to sit down and just jot out for you. Why Why is it so important to you that your children uh, connects with the Bible? Because that's what we're parenting for. We're parenting for the why, not so much trying to get our kids to engage in the activity. And then once you know the why, there are so many hows to get to there. So if it really is about wanting to access God's truth, to know God, to help our kids get familiar with the word and his truths and learn how to navigate it, then you can problem solve for how can I do those things with my kid. And how you may do it isn't sitting down and reading consistency every day. It might be a variety of ways that you answer those whys. You could take one verse at a time, pick up one verse, whack it on your wall, spend the whole week talking about it, reading it, laughing about it, telling stories about it, creating windows into your life about it, finding a new story that matches with it, that it ministers into. You could take one verse at a time. Or if your kid likes watching videos, you could watch on YouTube, there's the Jesus Storybook Bible. There's stories at a time that you could watch videos of. Or the Bible Project has some great stuff about holiness and concepts of of the Bible that they then tie scripture into so you can look at more topical. Uh, if your child likes listening, you could do the audiobook version of the Bible. There are so many out there that are like that. There's a scripture union book with really interesting words. They draw the words beautifully with little like illustrations throughout all the words. It's called Diary of a Disciple. And I know some children who struggle with just words really enjoy following along because it's so dynamic to look at. Without having to look at the words, you can basically follow the plot based on all of these brilliant illustrations that are tied into the language of it. You could go for the concordance. If your kid's an interested person who likes bouncing around, get an exhaustive concordance or some sort of topical concordance, which is just a book that basically lists places in the Bible that you can find topics. Or an exhaustive concordance just tells you where the word is in the Bible and you can go to that. So you can look up, I don't know, the word struggle and then use your Bibles to open it up and find different verses on struggles and have conversation about that. So rather than going sequentially, you should you could go topically by digging into the word through a concordance if they like research. You can uh, look at the Bible in all of its chunks. You have chunks like uh, histories and 
poems and stories and letters and uh, prophecies. And you can say, what should we look at today? We, do you want to look at a Jesus report, a poem, or a story? And you can pick what you're going to do in scripture and help them then navigate. Well, I'm going to want a poem and you know exactly to go into the middle. And you can begin to familiarize themselves with scripture that way. Or you could listen to songs. We are big fans of the Seeds family worship Bible verse songs. They are not annoying, and I really, really like them. So we play those in our house. And so we most of the scripture that we ended up memorizing is just because we're singing it all the time. Whatever you choose to do, remember the why. To access his truth, to know him, to give our children familiarity with the word. Whatever your reasons are, whatever you've written down, and keep that why in mind. And so whatever method you use... Don't worry about whether or not your kid can sit and listen to the Bible for 10 minutes. Ask yourself the question, is more scripture going into their hearts? Are they learning to love the Bible more? Are they learning to access it more? And you will be able to problem solve for that brilliantly because you do it already in your parenting. If you have a super creative kid, go creative. Victoria Beach uh, through Godventure has some great ideas of how to be physically creative with this. There's no wrong one right way, but whatever you do, Don't worry about forcing him to do the one activity you've tried. Help your kid find a way for them to engage with scripture in a way that produces the fruit that you want. For our wildcard section, I want to introduce you to Ali Campbell. He supports, encourages, and equips the local church with ministry tools for children, youth, and family ministry. He has a vast amount of experience, and I thought I'd invite him in to speak to us a bit about parenting for faith and tweenagers. How do we, as parents, continue to resource our children's faith journey as they transition from children into teenagers? So here is Ali Campbell. I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts as we think about transition and our children moving, uh, particularly I'm thinking primary to secondary, but just that sense of kids moving on uh, and doing new things. just feels right right now to be thinking about this. Um, so here's a couple of things I want to share. Firstly, that whole idea of transition. The word literally means crossing over. And um, I feel right in the middle of it, our youngest literally having just finished SATs in year six, uh, last test was this afternoon, after half term, which is only a week away, our eldest, though still in year nine, effectively starts year 10, and we start going full on for GCSE coursework and all that kind of thing. There's no pause button as a parent, there's no rewind, uh, you can't go back, but it doesn't even feel like there is a play button sometimes, you know, literally time to play, but also just the idea of a regular paced kind of life where I have time to think about what the heck is going on. But no, we're living life on fast forward. So whether you're facing transition or not, I think this is just about being a parent. So here's two kind of main thoughts. Um, And they're helping me think through this stuff at the moment. So if they're useful for you, that's awesome. First up, activity to presence. I love this verse next to us. It's in chapter 33. And it's just this, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And it's in the context of Moses having a chat with the Lord in the tent of meeting. He's at this point of transition. The people have rejected the Lord's commands. Um, You know, God's saying, I'm not having it. Um, There are stiff-necked people and all that stuff. 
Moses petitions on their behalf and there's this moment coming, a moment of incredibleness that's not arrived yet in the passage, but the glory of the Lord is about to pass by. But in the midst of this, Moses knows he has a job to do. He's making sure he isn't doing it alone. And then we have this verse, you know, when he's basically saying, how am I going to manage all of this? God says to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. It's about presence. Yes, there is loads to do, lots of activity, stuff that has to happen. Um, yes, God's people have stuffed it up good and proper, worshipping an idol they made while Moses was up the mountain the first time. But the point is this. We need God's presence. We need to know he's with us for what is to come. We need to find rest in that place with him. No rest in the midst of all the thrashing around with diaries and making stuff happen for our kids and buying new uniforms and getting used to their greater autonomy and celebrating what has been. But as they grow up, mourning, it's lost too. But in all of this, it's presence over activity that will get us through. Our awareness of God's presence, but also how we create that space and that presence for our kids. Now, when my children were younger, time spent was about activity. What are we going to do? When are we going to do it? How long will it take to get there? Life was punctuated by bouts of activity um, that would engage, thrill and hopefully exhaust our children so that we could all sleep at night. But all of that was geared around activity. As they get older, while our children continue to enjoy activity, they crave presence, just knowing that we are there. We are with them on this. Transition brings change, but while we all get older and slower, our presence remains. It is a myth to believe that as our children get older, they need us less. We have found the opposite to be true. Our children need our presence and our words of encouragement, our you've got this words of support. So a question, how is your presence before your kids? How present are you to your children? It's about being there and showing up and not checking out, but being available and that they know that you're available. I work from home uh, and when the kids are around, I try and make sure of an open door. Yes, I might still be working, but I don't ever want them to think I'm not present if they need me. Secondly, um, being rooted in the home. With everything else shifted, changing, where are the children able to see and say that they are rooted and secure? As well as our presence, there's also physical space, their sense of home. Right now, around our home are a load of post-it notes in the bathroom, kitchen, lounge, bedrooms, dining room, all with quadratic equations, well, at least that's what I think they are, I'm rubbish at maths. Our eldest is doing a maths test. The spaces she occupies and is in frequently have the most post-its. So what about these spaces we can associate with, as a family, with our life of God and, and, and our life with him? What stories have we shared in these different spaces and places? What familiar hooks can we use to connect our home with our sense of being at home with God as a family, finding our true home in his presence, as we've already mentioned? So literally, I'm suggesting something like this um, to make a more concerted effort to be rooted in the home. How about praying around your home, coming up with your own kind of resource and thinking about the different spaces that you might be in? So the kitchen, what's made here? You've got recipes, utensils, smells, the food we eat. How can that be associated with, you know, how we prepare for the day or what we're, the different meals that happen and routine and how God can be part of our routine and the basic essentials. Dining room for feast and celebration and gathering. How can we make sure that God is part of that and in the midst of all that we're doing in that space? In the lounge where we rest and chill and chat, is that a place where we feel we can just be together 
and being God's presence together. Nobody has to do anything or make stuff happen. It's just part of being with him. The bathroom where we clean, groom and deal with our rubbish. Are there places or spaces and even time where we can deal with our rubbish with one another? The things that wind us up, the things that get on our nerves. What space is there for forgiveness, keeping short accounts, not just with each other but with God? And the bedroom, sleep, privacy, space and stillness. What does that look like for us in terms of how we make that space in home? What's your favourite room in the house? Why do you like being there? What do you think about and do in this space? There could be simple reminders of prayers to say in each room or a prayer walk around the house, like some kind of home labyrinth. And then just a final thought, and this is for me is about the kind of sense of do it again persistence that we sometimes need. There's this great quote from Chesterton. He says this, Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. Do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he, she is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. I think one of the challenges of uh, being a parent is growing old. <laughs> um, he says at the age of 50. Um, but there's that sense in which God has this eternal appetite of infancy. And much as I love seeing my children grow up, they're still my children. And I think part of being a parent, even through this transition stage, is not forgetting to play, not forgetting to engage with our children just as they are and enjoy being in their company um, and just be playful regardless of their age and just have fun together um, I've often had such rich conversations and interaction with my kids just through messing about and still being a big big kid myself. And I think that do it again persistence of, you know, let's not give up on play, let's keep playing, let's make some routines. If we've struggled to do that, let's not give up on trying to build in routine and keep stuff going. Um, and just to remind you of those things I started with, it's not all about activity, but presence is key. And what are the spaces that we inhabit that don't change because we use them every day? Uh, the kitchen will still be used when the kids have gone from primary to secondary. Breakfast will still be eaten, um, lunch and dinner and all the rest of it. So how do we, around those things that are familiar, create continuity between the past and the present and the future and see the home as a space where we're all rooted together in the love of God as he's present with us. Thanks for listening. And finally, a question to start an interesting conversation this week. What is your idea of a perfect day? It's just an interesting question. Enjoy, or if you're feeling super bold, go back and listen to the uh, persecution section and uh, pick one of those questions about Christians who live in countries with persecution think it's all worth the risk just to love and worship God. Would I make that same decision? 
and have that conversation as well. Have a really good week. Thank you for downloading the Parenting for Faith podcast. A new episode will be released next week. And why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight-session course, to get in touch, or to find out about training and events near you. Thank you.